Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, two things uh, you will find helpful, I think, to do. One would be to turn back in the uh, Bible to uh, Acts chapter 8 as we go through um, looking at these uh, chapters in Acts. And uh, you'll find that on page 1101. Uh, The other thing is, if you like these things, to dig out um, the uh, sermon outline, uh, which uh, has been tucked into your bundle Uh, And uh, we'll see that as we go along as well. We awake then uh, to another act of terror that has taken the lives of seven people, injured 48 and affected untold others. I have no idea how you feel when you hear more of this stuff. Uh, For me, a number of emotions and questions fly around in my mind at times like this. It reminds me of the evil forces that are are at work in our world. It reminds me of the importance of the gospel that we know and love because life can be taken in a flash and everybody needs to know the gospel for eternity. And it shows me the wickedness of religion. For extremist Islamists take the, the lives of infidels to gain an honoured place in paradise. That is why they do it. What we see in these acts of terror is an extreme example of what we call salvation by works. An extreme example of trying to do something to get right with God. Getting right with God, being right with God, is something that has troubled people from the basement of time. This year, as many of you know, marks the 500th anniversary of the start of the Reformation. And uh, the Continental Reformation and then the English Reformation was a lot about that battle with how do you get right with God. I picked up a copy of of this book, The Unquenchable Flame by Michael Reeves. It brilliantly tells the story of the Protestant Reformation. And as I read it, I was reminded of how Luther was haunted by this inability for him to get right with God through religion. He was a very religious man, a monk, devout, sincere, completely immersed in the Roman Catholic Church and all the traditions. And it has to be said back then, the superstitions that were part of that religion. Luther performed every religious practice he could in order to atone for his sin. So, for example, in Rome, he climbed the uh, Scala Sancta, the staircase, which it was believed Jesus had climbed to appear before Pilate. As he climbed it, he kissed each step and repeated the Lord's Prayer on each step. And he did that in the belief that he could free a soul from purgatory. But even though he went to such extreme lengths uh, and did such extreme religious actions, there was this nagging question in his mind. Did he actually know that it did the trick? Would it make him right with God? See, despite his religious duties, he continued to sin. He realised through religion he couldn't make himself acceptable to God. Now, Luther didn't strap explosives to his body or mow down people in the street to earn his way to paradise. That wasn't the way of his religion. But make no bones about it, he was trying to earn his way into God's good books all the same. Now, getting right with God is something that every man and woman and boy and girl should be concerned about. Yeah, some people do it completely the wrong way, but it's something that everybody should be bothered about. It matters because eternity hangs on it. And we've been reminded today 
we're all only a moment of madness away from eternity. Sadly, where we spend eternity is not high on everyone's agenda, but those who do care about it, who are honest with themselves, can be eaten up with it, weighed down by the nagging thought that they just can't do enough for God, burdened by their inability to stop sinning. Well, this morning, as we continue to look through these uh, chapters of Acts, and as we look at Acts chapter 8, we meet a man who might well have despaired that he could never be completely and fully acceptable to God. I say we meet him, far more importantly, God wanted to meet him. Look at verse 26 of Acts 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. We don't know how this angel told Philip to go south. We're not given those details, but Philip got the message and he went. And it was a, no small thing for him to make this journey. What is described here in verse 26 wasn't just popping around the corner. Uh, no, it's a journey of about 60 miles. That was a significant enough trip for us to take in our air-conditioned cars. But for Philip, on foot, I guess, along dusty roads, this journey was quite something. But the angel had told him to go, and so he went. Verse 27, he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candice, queen of the Ethiopians. Now that brings us to our first point, if you're following along on the handout. The first point, the people God wants to be Christians, everyone from everywhere. You see, the details that we're given in verse 27 are very important for us to note uh, of this man. First note, he was an Ethiopian. As far as the Jews were concerned, he was a foreigner, an alien, and therefore a man who was outside of Judaism. Just one look at him would have told you he's not a Jew. His skin would have been jet black. He was an Ethiopian. Very clearly not a Jew. Second detail here in verse 27, he was a eunuch. You see, being a foreigner from Ethiopia excluded this man as far as Judaism was concerned, but being a eunuch left him doubly excluded. In Jewish law, being a eunuch debarred him from the Jewish assembly in the temple. And I've put the reference on the handout if you want to chase that up later. And the end of verse 27 tells us that he had been to Jerusalem to worship God. But as a black man and a eunuch, he wouldn't have got very far into the temple. And because the temple was the symbol of God's presence and mercy, this man felt excluded from God's presence. Third, in verse 27, we discover the Ethiopian eunuch was an important official in charge of the treasury of Candice, queen of the Ethiopians. He was a government minister in charge of the treasury. We might call him the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Whatever we call him, he had a very important and responsible job, and he was wealthy. That becomes clear as the story unfolds. But here's the thing, neither his status, his high rank or his wealth could get him into the heart of the temple and therefore into God's presence. There are some things that money can't buy, some things that can't be earned, and getting right with God is one of them, which is something that Islamic terrorists have got so hopelessly wrong. They cannot earn their way to God. Anyway, the Ethiopian eunuch was clearly a man who wanted to know God. As we've already seen at the end of verse 27, he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, but now he was on his way home. And with every passing mile as he 
trundled along in his chariot. He was getting further and further away from the temple. And in Judaistic thought, that meant further and further away from the presence of God. And so as we meet this man, we meet a man who was racially, geographically and legally very far from God. Some people feel the same today, far from God, excluded from God, uh, for all sorts of reasons. I've uh, met people down through the years who want to know God, but they, they think their background excludes them. So people tell me that they're not the religious type. Others feel excluded from God because of their geography. They're not near a church where the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached faithfully, so they never hear it. But the most often... When I talk to people, the most often the reason why people feel excluded from God is because of their past. They've often say to me they've got things in the past that they're mightily ashamed of and can't turn the clock back. How they wish they could. I think of a man in his mid-30s, let's call him Chris. As we chatted, he opened up about things that he'd done in his early 20s, things that only one or two people knew about, things he was so ashamed of. He'd not been in trouble with the police, but, but he knew he was in trouble with God. He had enough awareness of God to know that the things that he had done were wrong. He said to me if he had his time again, he would do things very differently. But that's the problem with life, isn't it? You can't go back and do it again. What's in the past is there, on the record. He really felt that. He felt excluded from God. Now, I think that's how the Ethiopian eunuch would have felt. Yet despite everything that kept him out of God's presence, verse 27, he went to Jerusalem to worship anyway. And while he was there, his longing to know about God saw him pop into the temple bookshop where he picked up a scroll. Um, Sorry, it doesn't say that in the text. I'm just assuming that that's what happened. But look at verse 28. On his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, it's that detail that tells me that he was a wealthy man. He was sitting in a chariot. A bit later on, we discover it's a chauffeur-driven chariot. And he'd been able to afford to buy a scroll of the book of Isaiah. Well, he'd have had had a bob or two to do that. It would be another 1,400 years before the printing press was invented. And so every book was handwritten on expensive parchment. For this man to have the book of Isaiah in his hands, he must have been a very wealthy man. That as it may be, crucially, he was reading the scriptures. He wanted to know about God. And reading the scroll was the very best thing this man ever did because it's in the Bible that we discover how to meet God. And that is exactly why the Lord wanted Philip to be on the desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza. The Lord wanted Philip to explain the Bible to the Ethiopian eunuch, which brings us to our second point on the handout. The way God brings people to be Christians The message of Jesus in the Bible explained, verses 29 to 31. See, verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I love this. Just just picture it today. A foreign government official sitting in his chauffeur-driven car, stuck in a a queue of traffic in London with the window down to get some fresh air, when out of the blue, a guy on his bicycle pulls up alongside him, sees through the window that he's reading the Bible, so he pokes his head through the window and says, do you understand what you're reading? 
It's priceless, a little cheeky, but priceless. But what's the worst that can happen? Well, he could have been told to mind his own business and get lost, I suppose. But what actually happened was an invitation to join him in the chariot with the words, verse 31, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? Come and help me. See, there are people like this Ethiopian throughout society today, and many of them will be our friends and neighbours and colleagues and family. I'm not thinking about you having friends who are in high office, although you might do. I'm thinking of people who feel excluded from the Lord, but they really do want to know him. Here's how they can. Through the message of Jesus Christ in the Bible. When we believe that, then we can see here something that we can all do. We, we can all invite people to read the Bible with us. They can always say no. They can tell us to buzz off, but I doubt they will. More positively, what if they said yes? Might just start something wonderful for them. And you see, understanding where this incident fits into the book of Acts might just encourage us to ask more people in the belief that they might well say yes when we ask them to read the Bible with us. Let me show you how it does fit in, because I think this will really encourage you. Uh, All these references are on the handout, so there's no need to scribble down. Um, Just come with me back to chapter 1 and verse 8 of Acts, if you will, so we can see how this all fits in. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here is the Lord Jesus speaking to his apostles before Jesus ascends to heaven. And uh, this gives us um, uh, a crucial understanding of how the whole book of Acts works. Acts 1 verse 8, speaking to the apostles, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's God's agenda. That's God's plan for the apostles to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then right to the ends of the world. And that is the, pot- the pattern that the book of Acts follows. So here we are on Pentecost Sunday. Well, on the day of Pentecost, uh, in chapter 2 of Acts, Peter preached the gospel in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people became Christians that day. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John preached the gospel at the temple gate, still in Jerusalem, and chapter 4, verse 4, another 2,000 people became Christians. And that explosion in church growth continued. The the apostles continued to preach, and in chapter 6 and verse 7, we read of a rapid increase in the number of believers. And then in our chapter, in uh, chapter 8, verse 1, as we saw last week, Stephen is stoned, And verse 1, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered, notice where? Throughout Judea and Samaria. See, the persecution of Christians was a terrible thing. But it was the very thing that the Lord used to fulfill his master plan. So there in chapter 8, verse 1, believers were scattered to Judea and Samaria exactly as God had planned that the gospel would go out. And so in the first half of chapter 8, as we saw last week, Philip preached the gospel in a city in Samaria and Samaritans became Christians. Do you see how it's working? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And now here with this Ethiopian, the gospel is being taken to someone from the ends of the earth. It's exactly what we heard last week. The gospel is for everywhere without exception and the gospel is for everyone without distinction. 
Now that, I think, should encourage us to ask anyone we know if they'd like to read the Bible with us because that's God's agenda. But that's not the only encouragement here. Do you notice the significance of the numerical markers in Acts? Let me run through it very quickly. 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. Another 2,000 after that. The church rapidly growing further. And then Philip preaching to a city in Samaria. Huge numbers coming in. But then I love this. Philip is sent to just one man. Just one. One minute he's preaching the gospel to a whole city in Samaria and the next the Lord wants him to travel 60 miles to meet one man because individuals matter to God. Individuals matter enough for the Lord to take a successful evangelist away from his tour of Judea and uh, and Samaria where whole cities are being impacted by the gospel so that one man will have the gospel explained to him. Isn't that lovely? All that to say that not only is the gospel for everyone without distinction, but that the Lord is concerned for every one. And seeing that should encourage us to do what Philip did here, ask those we know if they want to read the Bible with us. Even to ask the most unlikely people, like an Ethiopian eunuch, he won't be interested, surely. Even asking somebody that you think has got it all sorted and is very happy, they won't be interested, will they? Well, I'm glad my brother didn't think like that. For me, when I was 20, I seemed to have it all sorted. My brother had become a Christian, and on Christmas Day 1982, he gave me a Bible. Unknown to him, completely unknown to him, I'd be asking the big questions of life. I'd been thinking about death. I'd been realizing I wasn't the sort of person I should be. I'd been wondering what life was really all about. My brother didn't have a clue. I hadn't told anyone that that was what was going through in my head. But deep down, I had these nagging questions. And David, my brother, gave me a Bible and I started reading it. I started reading from Genesis chapter 1. And a week later, my brother asked me, how have you been getting on with the Bible? And I said, oh, I've stopped. I started reading, but I've stopped. And he asked me, why did you stop? I said, because by chapter 5, everybody dies and it's too depressing. And so he said to me, well, why did you start in Genesis chapter 1? I said, because it's the beginning of the book. And he had to explain to me that the Bible was a collection of 66 books. And he suggested that I started reading from Matthew's gospel. That was how it all started for me. Because it's in the Bible that we meet Jesus and find the answer to our questions. And especially the big question of how we get right with God. Christian. Try it. Ask your friends and colleagues and neighbours if they want to read the Bible with you. They can always say no. But what if they say yes? Uh, We've um, mentioned this before. The the uncover material being used by um, students, uh, UCCF, uh, but others as well. Uh, You can pick up a a gospel and, um, and a little workbook that helps you to know how to read the Bible with someone. Anybody can do it. And lots of people have done it. And their friends have come to know the Lord Jesus. We've got some of these over the the way. You can pick one up uh, later if you want. And if you're here this morning and want to know God, but you're not sure how to get to know him, well, I'll be standing on the door. Speak to me afterwards, and I'll arrange for you to meet up with someone to start reading the Bible with them. And as you do, you'll discover our third point over the page on the handout. The message of God to make people Christians, the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is Acts chapter 8, verses 32 to 35. See, the eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. 
And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told the good news about Jesus. Ah, the good news about Jesus. The message of Jesus is very good news. It was for the Ethiopian because Judaism left him feeling excluded from God. It is good news for those caught up in Islam because religion won't ever get somebody right with God. And sacrificing your life in a terror attack won't get you an honored place in paradise despite what your religion teaches you. It is the good news of Jesus that makes us right with God. And for that reason, the message of Jesus is good news for everyone. Because in Jesus, no one need be excluded from knowing God personally. Now, one book that I read this week uh, while I was preparing for this speculates, and it is only speculation, take it or leave it, but I I found it quite interesting. I'm quite taken by it. This book speculates that the Ethiopian eunuch brought a copy of Isaiah because in Isaiah chapter 56, there are wonderful promises for someone in his situation. Now, as I say, take it or leave it, but uh, come with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 56, and you'll see... Uh, why this person suggests this. It's page 743. And I'm quite taken by this thought. Page 743. Isaiah chapter 56. Well, I'm actually going to read from verse 3, which is uh, page 742. Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and who hold fast to my covenant. To them I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I'll bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in the house of prayer. Do you see what's going on there? Wonderful promises for foreigners and eunuchs and this man was both. Here was hope that he could be included And it's in Isaiah chapter 53, just three chapters earlier, that explains exactly how anyone can be included. And that's where he was up to in reading this scroll when Philip turned up unexpectedly. And in Acts chapter 8, we're told that using this very part of Scripture, he began to explain to the Ethiopian uh, the truth of the gospel about the Lord Jesus So uh, let me show you what I think Philip would have done. Come back with me to chapter 53 of Isaiah and we'll look at these uh, verses very quickly. Isaiah 53. First look at verse four. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. There it is, you see. All of us have gone astray. Each one of us, Ethiopian or Englishman, 
eunuch or family man. It doesn't matter what our nationality or our physical condition, we've all gone astray. We've all walked away from God. We've all lived our lives our own way. We've all failed to live up to God's standards. All that is except one, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's who this is talking about. And Philip explained to the Ethiopian that this passage in the Bible is all about Jesus, the one who was perfect in every way, the one who didn't deserve punishment from God, but Jesus stood in our place. You see, all the way through these verses, we're told that Jesus acted as a substitute. He stood in our place. Verse four, he took our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Verse five, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He died in our place, taking the punishment we deserve. And Jesus willingly died for us, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Here is why Jesus is so markedly different from Islam. The God of Islamic extremists tell people to blow themselves up and mow others down to get themselves right with God. But the one true God dies the most horrific death himself so that we can be made right with God. So Jesus died and was buried, verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. But that wasn't the end of it. He died, was buried, but he rose again, verse 11. After the suffering of his soul, he'll see the light of life and be satisfied. You see, Isaiah 53 is all about the sin-bearing death and glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 is all about how we, undeserving sinful people, can be put right with God through a substitute, the Lord Jesus. And as we turn back to Acts chapter 8, page 1102, we read in verse 35 that that's what Philip told the Ethiopian about starting with that very passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 8, verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Good news indeed. Oh, the Ethiopian was so thrilled to hear the news. It's what he'd wanted, you see. He wanted to get right with God. He wanted to become a Christian there and then. Verse 36, as they travelled along the road, trundling along in their, their chariot, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I have been baptized? Philip thought there's no reason why you shouldn't be baptized. Well, I've just read that bit into it. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into water and baptized. Philip baptized him. It's a brilliant story. And since then, it's been repeated millions of times all over the world. It's a story of individuals who want to know God. It's the story of the Lord who wants individuals to know him. The Lord who fashions circumstances and gets his people in the right place at the right time to tell people about Jesus. It's a story of Christians who are prepared to talk to others about Jesus. It's a story of two people sitting down with a Bible in front of them. And with the Bible in front of them, reading about the story of Jesus, the good news, that everyone everywhere can come into a living relationship with the one true living God. On this morning after another day, when Britain has been rocked, that is the message we need to take to everyone. A message of hope, 
a message of life beyond the grave, a message that gives everyone from everywhere access to the Lord forever. Let's turn to pray. Just a moment of silence and then Pete will lead us in our prayers this morning.